Hi, I'm Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, and I'm here with a Slate spoiler special podcast of the new Star Trek movie entitled Star Trek and directed by J.J. Abrams of Lost and Alias and Cloverfield and Felicity and what other fame, Dan? Uh, well, Mission Impossible 3, unfortunately. Right. Oh, yeah. His movie career is actually not quite as... as uh, not quite as acclaimed as Felicitous, his I was going to say. Yes. That's the word I was looking for. Yes. It's his television career. Um, so, so joining me from D.C. is Dan Coyce. Dan, want to introduce yourself? I'm a movie critic for The Washington Post and a writer at large for New York Magazine. Oh, aren't you classy? Yes, yes. And so we did not see this movie together. I saw it last night and wished that I was walking out of it with you because I thought you'd have some, some good insights. But, um, well, first of all, I just want to say that when I left this screening last night, I had a spring in my step and did not feel horribly drained and dispirited, which already was so far above the bar that I had set for this or most other summer blockbusters. So what about you? Yeah, me too. I mean, I, I found it good science fiction fun. I mean, it's like, as you know, the, the summer blockbuster season has turned into such a slog of weighty, explosive action, blo like nothings, that uh, to have something that was just funny and light and charming and a tiny, tiny bit sexy was great. Right, especially the week after Wolverine, right? right? Which was sort of the first movie of this summer, the very first weekend in May. Right. And and just definitely left you that with that feeling that, oh God, it's all it's all coming into it's all looming before us now. Right. How many um, months so, till November? Right. But this is but the Star Trek was a sort of a little glimpse of some kind of a, a chink in the gloom. So I'm not a Trekkie or Trekker or whatever they call themselves, Trekette by any stretch, but I don't know about you, I do actually have an intense childhood relationship with the original 60s show. So I was sort of dreading, you know, seeing some of these characters get revisited in ways that would be either too parodic or sort of too somber. And I actually thought that all of the casting was incredibly well done. Did you feel the same way? I definitely felt the same way. They, for the most part, did a very nice job of finding actors who resembled their counterparts just enough so that you could buy them as younger versions of themselves but did not ape them so much as to annoy you. And at first I winced when a character would spout off their signature line when McCoy would claim that Damity's just a doctor, but then eventually I came to enjoy them and I came and I ended up waiting for them to come and by, you know, four fifths of the way through the movie I find myself thinking, Come on, let Scotty say it, let Scotty say it and then he did. What, what would the, what would this quintessential Scotty line be? Uh, she can't like, take she any can't more, hold Captain. up under the strain, Captain. Yes. Right. I'm giving her all she's got. Yeah, there's a, there was some sort of self-congratulatory thing said in the press notes that I actually, unlike most press notes, I found to be somewhat true, which is that the, the writers really ran, went out of their way to make sure the, the writers, one of them at least, is is a is a huge Trekkie who I guess a lot of his career has been spent, you know, as a consultant on various Star Trek projects, mm -hmm. and they wanted to make sure that everybody got to say their signature line, but that nobody said it in a parodic or ironic sort of wink, wink way. And I think that was actually achieved fairly admirably. Right, you know, they, this this didn't have that sort of cutesy cameo filled feel of a lot of the old um, Star Trek movies. Right. I mean, the only thing in this movie that would qualify as a cameo is the uh, actual appearance and, in fact, semi-major role of Leonard Nimoy, which I guess would bring us pretty well into a description of the plot of this movie. Oh, yeah. We should definitely summarize the plot and, and spoil all you want, because I'm going to be doing a lot of Star Trek coverage. I'm going to review it, and we're also going to talk about it in this late Culture Gap Fest next week, but only here do we get to spoil it. So right. I really want to make the most of that, that feature. So, yeah. So Leonard Nimoy does, in fact, appear in this movie, and the, and the reason why is because the the plot turn that this Star Trek movie takes, as so many Star Trek stories have before, is time travel, um, a sort of classic sci-fi trope and one that is handled in a pretty fun way in this one. A black hole opens up in space, and out of it comes a, a gigantic Romulan ship from the future 
Um, and the movie begins with that Romulan ship blowing up James T. Kirk's father, who is the captain of a starship, but not before he can save everyone on the board, including his wife, who is in labor and giving birth to young Jim Kirk. Um, and then and we, in, in, a, in a clever sort of teaser at the beginning, too, you at first think that that Captain Kirk is the young Jim Kirk, right? right? And then you hear his wife in labor call him George, and you realize that he's actually George Kirk, the right. father of this baby about to be born, who will be James Tiberius Kirk. Right. And so then we uh, then spend the next, you know, maybe 20 minutes of the movie going through the childhood and young adulthood of a lot of these characters, piling up friendly Star Trek faces along the way. So... We meet James Kirk as he's sort of a ne'er-do-well in the fields of Iowa, finally getting talked into joining Starfleet by a guy who tells him to live up to his father's example. And then we meet young Spock on Vulcan getting taunted by emotionless other Vulcans and and talking to his human mother, played by Winona Ryder. And um, we get to meet Uhura as a little as a young hottie, and we get to meet um, Bones as a nervous young doctor who's afraid of flying and. And gradually all these characters, uh, you know, accrete into the movie until finally we all end up on the Enterprise as it goes off on a mission that is, in fact, a trap set by this Romulan captain from the future who has come back in time to avenge the future destruction of his planet, which he blames on Mr. Spock, who in the future of this world um, failed as a representative of Starfleet and of the whatever the what's the government? The The Federation. Yes, thank you. Um, revealing my non-Trekkie roots. As a representative of the Federation, he fails to Even avert... Even more embarrassing, I'm revealing my Trekkie right. roots, but go on. <laughs> he fails to avert the destruction of uh, the Romulan's home planet, and this Romulan, who watched his family die, um, has gone back in time to try and avert this from happening and, in fact, to destroy the Federation as, and Starfleet as much as he can. Spock also goes back in time, and so midway through the movie, Kirk, who has been banished from the Enterprise by the new captain, Spock meets old Spock, Leonard Nimoy, um, who explains to him basically the entire plot via mind meld, um, which is a hilarious moment in which the movie essentially throws up his hands and say and says, there's just no way we can even explain this plot. But it's it's kind of a, it's a really great narrative choice, right? Just sort of the exposition via mind meld. Right. But, but I, I lo- also don't know that I've ever seen the inside of a mind meld before. I mean, you've seen Leonard Nimoy do so many mind melds, but you never actually see what's going on between the two minds. Right. right? It turns out what's going on is narration and lots of flashy cutting. Um, voiceover. Voiceover from Leonard Nimoy, which I guess is fine. But I just love the idea that even the writers understand that the plot is so complicated that no currently existing narrative technology can explain it. And only through a mind meld can James Kirk learn what happened in this movie. And so we are hopelessly at sea. We can only hope to be catching up the rest of the time. Well, I don't think there's really ever been a time travel sort of loop that creates an alternate universe science fiction story that completely coheres, right? I mean, by its very nature, it sort of can't make sense. But that's what's so genius about J.J. Abrams choosing to restart this franchise with a time travel alternative universe story. Because he gets off the hook with all the fanboys, right? Right, Nobody can complain, well, that's not the way things were in the original series. And just for an example of a spoiler, I mean, some of the bad stuff that happens along the way in this movie is that the planet Vulcan is completely destroyed by a black hole, right? Right. Uh, It's basically imploded by this Romulan and as a result Spock's mother dies. Well, anybody who watched the old series knows that they frequently visit Vulcan and Spock's mother is alive throughout the show. So, but J.J. Abrams has of course opened up a hole where both of those universes can coexist, so he's not wrong. Right. Um, The question remains, of course, is this going to lead down the sad path that the comic book world has taken now and eventually will there be a Star Trek multiverse with dozens of different Star Trek universes that you have to keep track of and it's exhausting all the time but as it is right now I do agree with you that it was kind of a genius move like because it allows him 
to tell a new story for those of us who weren't married to the Star Trek world, but for those who were married to the Star Trek world, it allows him to surprise them. You know, it allows him to tell a story that they would not have otherwise anticipated and that he's not forced to connect the dots that they want him to connect. Right. I mean, it's, it's certainly a fresh story for a standalone movie, whether or not that, you know, that alternative universe structure can hold up for a second movie or whether just the energy of this can hold up for a second movie. I don't know. But to my surprise, it actually felt like a fairly compact and, and energizing revisiting right. of the franchise. Well, I mean, the good news is that the inevitable second movie in this new rebooted series is presumably going to feature a lot of the same actors. And as we mentioned, the casting is pretty spectacular all the way through. I mean, the, we all haven't the really even visited the actors' names. I want to spoil a couple more things before we're done, but oh, yeah, yeah. I just want to say first of all, I think that the, the choice of Chris Pine to play the William Shatner role, James Kirk, was mm-hmm. just brilliant. And I really didn't think that anybody could do that role. I happen to be a huge Shatner fan, <laughs> and <laughs> I have to say that this is an embarrassing admission, but I think possibly one of my earliest erotic thoughts concerned James Kirk. He was an early crush of mine, and I still love William Shatner to this day. He's great on the Priceline commercials. He's great on Boston Legal. I just think he has this very funny, light he's, kind of. He's great in your dreams. <laughs> uh, no, I, I agree. Chris Pine was really great, and he he. And there's a lightness to that character that that you could really easily overwrite, right? I mean, right. he could be that horrible, somber, somber pop culture figure that we seem to have to revisit in every summer movie now. And Chris Pine doesn't play it that way at all, nor is it written that way. Well, he plays it. Yes, he plays it light and cocky and funny. Um, and one advantage that this movie has over, I think, a lot of the more recent Star Trek movies and Star Trek stories is that it is quite funny all the way through and a lot of that is a credit I mean not only to J.J. Abrams and to his writers but to the actors who are all really funny and I mean there's maybe no better example of that than casting Simon Pegg as Scotty who's genuinely one of the funniest people alive and who is only shows up maybe three-fourths of the way through this movie, but is completely funny and charming in every scene that he's in. Yeah, my one regret with Scotty is that he didn't come into the movie a little bit earlier. Right. There, there is a little bit of a slack. It's not, it doesn't feel horribly overly long, but I feel like there is a little bit of a slack expositional part, which unfortunately I think was sort of where Leonard Nimoy came in. I mean, right. this is nothing to do with Nimoy himself or his performance, and it was, of course, nice to see him, but I felt like his narrative presence in the movie, the need to bring in the old Spock and have him meet the young Spock and all these things, started to feel a little bit like some of the cute cameos stuff that happened in the old Star Trek movies well, I mean, and, and took is, the film's energy down. Right. I mean, it is a problem that, I mean, that Leonard Nimoy moves, you know, about a hundred times slower than everyone else in this movie and that, and I mean, it's just the way it is. He's probably the oldest person in this movie by 40 years. I mean, even Spock's mother is played by Winona Ryder, who's what, like 36? <laughs> yeah, she's probably like five years older than the guy who's playing I believe she's right? actually only three years older than Zachary oh, that's Quinto. So, that so, that's another whole podcast. That is just miserable. Um, what about Zachary Quinto, who plays Spock? I don't know if you watch Heroes. I don't watch Heroes, the show that he's on. but uh, I did Once Upon a Time before it was terrible. Um, and I like him as Spock. I mean, I, I, I like the way he plays off of Kirk. This movie does a great job, I think, of setting them up in a way that will surprise a lot of fans as enemies, basically. I mean, as, as diametric opposites. Um, and in the Star Trek movies and in the TV series as we know them, it's always been Kirk trying to humanize Spock or, and Spock serving to sort of rationalize Kirk. But in this, it's really them just butting heads, I mean, for almost the entire movie. And, and part of the fun of the movie is watching them sort of come to terms with each other. But I liked him. You know, I liked um, Zoe Saldana as Uhura. I thought she was fun. And she had, I mean, she had attitude, which is more than Uhura even ever managed to have in the series, where all she did was sort of play that classic Sigourney Weaver in Galaxy Quest role of well, but the can person I just who say repeats those what the computers say. 
If, if I can just join in on the spoiling here, I, I did not like the Uhura-Spock relationship as set up in this movie, especially if looking forward as the franchise, go, franchise goes forward. I don't know if I want Spock and Uhura to be making out and uh-huh. on the on the whatever it's called, the transporter pad at every opportunity. But imagine how beautiful their children will be. So let's take a quick break to talk about our sponsor, uh, Audible.com, which is the leading purveyor of spoken audio entertainment on the web. And you can get there at www.audiblepodcast.com slash spoiler. And uh, we usually do a recommendation, an audible recommendation that's sort of related to our thematic content of the spoiler. So uh, we have the perfect one for this week. I went to see if Nimoy, Leonard Nimoy, did any uh, any readings of books on Audible. And not only does he do many readings on there, you can hear him reading Star Trek novels, of course, H.G. Wells. He's doing some uh, selected shorts performances of, of Evelyn Waugh short stories. But I think for this this movie, the uh, the most applicable is his own autobiography, I Am Spock, read by Leonard Nimoy. So go to Audible and check it out. I would love to hear that, and I I wish that I would I honestly wish that they would hire Leonard Nimoy to read everything. Like, could you imagine like a Leonard Nimoy, craps last tape? How good would that be? So, where if anywhere did you see the touch of of J J Abrams in this movie? I mean, we agree that it was sort of an an able tribute to the old show, but what directorially, what do you think he brought to it? He definitely has a way with um, character drama and character moments brought out in the middle of big action scenes. I mean, that's something that. Lost has always been good at that, that when Lost goes into like a big action moment, you never lose track of those characters and those characters stay who they are throughout even fights and time travel and the craziest stuff that can possibly happen. Characters stay very true to themselves in a way that I think is really pleasurable for audiences. And in, this, in a movie like this where we're already so attached to the characters, it definitely brings something even more to that movie. One That's a good way of putting it. Even in the big action set pieces on top of, you know, giant Romulan drills and right. inside huge boiler rooms and so forth, you didn't sort of feel like characters stopped and the action sequence started and then you sort of went back to the story. Right, no. Sulu was still Sulu and Kirk was still Kirk and, and the poor red shirt who died was definitely the poor red shirt who died. Um, well, we just have to mention that Sulu was played by John Cho, oh, right. who is Harold of the Harold and Kumar movies. Yes. I can't stop thinking of him that way. I mean, he gives a perfectly fine performance, but something about seeing Harold of the Harold and Kumar movies battling it out in, in outer space was just just wrong. It made me feel like if he was going to pilot the Enterprise, they should attach some kind of breathalyzer device to the to the key to make sure he's not high when he starts it up. Um, Absolutely. I'm surprised, actually, they didn't work in a stoner joke of some kind. But that but that goes to the feel of this movie, which is very sincere and actually quite unconcerned with, you know, post-1969 pop culture. Yeah, absolutely. One thing that I do want to touch on very briefly, is though, is, that, is how indebted this movie feels to Serenity, which was Joss Whedon's science fiction movie of a couple years ago that came and went without making much of a peep, um, although it was much loved by a lot of critics. Um, it was based on his failed Fox science fiction series Firefly and a lot of the look and feel of Star Trek is very reminiscent of Serenity the way that space scenes are shot with long shots zooming into tight shaky close-ups that almost appear to be handheld the way the fights are shot is very reminiscent of Serenity and and the way Kirk is played the way that James Pine plays Kirk in this movie Chris Pine Chris Pine excuse me the way that Chris Pine plays Kirk in this movie was reminiscent the reason I liked him so much I think was that he did not feel exactly like the old Kirk of the old Star Trek show and movies but he actually felt like uh, a version of Nathan Fillion's character from Serenity um, a daring ne'er-do-well badass bad attitude space cowboy who doesn't take a lot of shit 
but who is really lovable all the way through. And that, I know that that's a character trope throughout history, but the characters could have been brothers in these two movies. And, and it's nice to see that the DNA of Serenity has sort of come into the science fiction world and may now become an accepted way to tell sci-fi stories. It makes me hope that people will go back to Serenity and, re and watch it if they haven't seen it, because it's really actually probably as good as this Star Trek movie was, Serenity is probably twice as good. All right, but in awaiting the uh, sequel to Serenity, Dan, I hope you'll join me for the next summer blockbuster. Absolutely. I hope it's uh, even half as fun as this one. I seriously doubt it, but for Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.